It needs all the things. Give it all the things. Oh, perfect. You nailed it. You can't bend physics, but you can do is write better software. And you're doing MPLS changes or BDP changes. May, may God be with you, right? I, I always feel like I'm just a little fish in a sea of big fish. I've got a nested six-node Nissan. Aw, uh, guys. People, you know, quite often think that they don't have anything to bring to the table when they absolutely do. Everybody should. Anybody in IT that skips the phone stuff, it just hasn't earned it. Okay, I lied. I have one more question. On demand. Correct. Welcome to a special edition episode 24 and a half GigaCast for whatever day it is today, January 1st, 2019. I'm Britton Johnson from the GigaCast headquarters. And I'm Tony Reeves broadcasting live from my home lab. Oh, dude. It's January 1st. Um, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, you too, bro. It's been uh, a really crazy year. Um, I put out on the Twitters that we did 16 episodes and something with like, no, no, wait, it was, was it 19 episodes and 16 guests or 16 guests? No, no, we had more guests than episodes. I haven't even looked at any of the stats, so I'm going to go with your wishy-washy on this one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was something like that. Was we had, yeah, because we had those two big panel episodes. So, so we had 19 guests, 16 separate episodes in 2018. So that was a full year for us. I think it was a good year. I think uh, we broadened the horizons of the show a little bit, changed the format a little bit, and seems to be well-received. We're getting more listeners than I ever thought we would um, for a modest little podcast that we are. Um, So we certainly appreciate all you people out there listening to us. Um, I'm actually very surprised uh, how things are going with the podcast seems to be gaining a little momentum little by little. Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to the, the Twitter account for the show at V gigacast has over 200 followers now. Um, We have official stickers. Now we're legit. I'm still working on t-shirt swag, so hopefully that'll be happening this year. Goals for 2019 would be t-shirt swag for guests. Um, And then I own the domain gigacast.net, and I've been trying to work on getting that site built. I I bought a really nice um, WordPress plugin that I want to set the show up on it. Basically I need to just populate the site with all of our content and just put it out there. So I've, I've I've been struggling to find time to do it. So if somebody really wants to give back to the show and knows how to deal with WordPress, (laughs) hit me up on the Twitters and let me know. Um, Cause that would be a cool way to help the show to get us into our own website. Um, And And we desperately need, yeah, and change over some of the feeds and some of that stuff. So, um, and we are exploring um, live broadcasts and while we're recording for 2019. Well, more, more to come on that. Um, mm-hmm. But it's been a crazy year. Yeah, we've certainly kept busy. I mean, uh, most people that listen to the show know that Britton has a full-time consultant business he runs and I work full-time, plus a VMUG leader, a lot of volunteer responsibilities there. So we're both very active in uh, our daily careers as well as the the greater community. So 
really looking forward to seeing what we can do to expand the podcast for this coming year and try to add some more value to the community. Right. So what I wanted to do here for this special kind of year end, you know, I'm calling this 24.5. It's not a real episode. (laughs) The V mashup. Yeah. So what I've done is I've pulled some clips from all of our interviews from the, from this past year, 2018, and just kind of, well, I'll string them, string them together and just have made a nice little mashup of, you know, people we've talked to some good stuff. Um, I think it's, you know, entertaining and yet still really good info. Um, and, and, and for people who are new, who haven't heard a lot of our past episodes, I think this will be a good way to catch up and, uh, you know, kind of see, see what we're about. So yeah, hopefully it'll, uh, trigger some interest and make people want to go back and catch up on back episodes as well to learn more about it. Right. So, so that's it. Um, you know, I just kind of wanted to record a little intro with Tony here and then we will start the clips and I'll send us out after that's done. So thanks everybody for listening. And, uh, you know, again, we do this for the community. It's for the words by the community for the community. Um, we're here to help people and ultimately you guys are helping us. So, um, absolutely. Last bit of news. Our next real episode is January the 6th. So this coming Sunday. Um, and that is with my brother, Heath Johnson and Kevin T bear from the VMware cloud foundation team. So we're going to talk about all about cloud foundation. That'll be interesting. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I just sent out a whole bunch of invites to a group of people. So we'll, I'm still getting those firmed up. Um, looks like Chris Williams is down for April. We just got to pick, pick a date. Um, and then we've got a couple other good ones and, the the return of the security edition post the RSA security conference is coming with a uh, security expert um, that I used to work with. So that'll be a fun one as well. Cool. So it's going to be uh, a busy, busy first quarter of the year here. So Tony, anything else you want to add here on New Year's Day? Uh, nope. Just uh, happy New Year to all of the community members that are listening to us. Thanks for keeping us going, keeping us motivated and I uh, appreciate the guests that we had on our uh, Festivus episode, uh, having some of our yes. listeners on, giving us good feedback. So, yeah, I got lots of good feedback on the Festivus episode. That was a good one. So, yeah. And, and there are some clips from that in this one as well, or you can just go back in the feed and download the whole thing. So, all right, without nice. further ado, I'm going to start us up. And then, then when, when I get everything packaged up, I will finish out the episode and, and then you Tune in next week um, for the next real episode, and we'll go from there. Thanks, everybody. Happy New Year. Here we go. All right, you guys, podcast time. We got the equipment and the perfect business plan. Give our show away for free and tell no one how to find it. Ready? Give me the 122nd Cody D. Arkland background story. Cool, cool, yeah. So, um, I'm relatively new to VMware. Uh, I've been here just shy of a year, so I'll be my one year is actually on Valentine's Day. Oh, happy Aww, Valentine's Day! Right? Yeah, nice. Aww, guys. Uh, so I came from uh, the enterprise side, so I was at a major utility. I try not to say where, 
anyone can go look at my LinkedIn and figure it out or yeah. scroll through Twitter. Um, but I spent about 10 years at that utility uh, doing various stuff. Um, but the final four, four and a half years were doing kind of a big private cloud thing. So I did the whole the whole stack, right? Went through and did VRI's automation, did a different VMware implementation than the one that existed already. So I did that for four years, but I'm a, I'm a fiend for learning. And when you get into like an operational role like that, even if you're engineering, you still end up being kind of this converged engineering and operations. It just, it was challenging to keep learning new things in, in the private sector. So I decided to jump on board, jump into uh, jump into VMware and start, start building up a, a new set of skills and growing the skills. So. so in my, you know, experience with you, like at, at VMworld this last year, you know, you seem to have like really, really, really good grasp and knowledge of kind of scripting and Python and all that kind of stuff that really just escapes my brain. Mm-hmm. So if, so for like a guy like me who's been in IT forever, but doesn't really, you know, hasn't ever really started jumping into scripting, where do you start? This is, so I'm honestly, you know, we obviously talked a little bit about what we were going to talk about on the show beforehand, right? But yeah. I know this is kind of out of the field, really but... Like, no, no, but I, yeah. honestly, I'm, this is a super good topic to come up. And it's, a, it's okay. funny because uh, Kyle Reddy and I are planning on doing a kind of intro to scripting thing for Sacramento, where, where I'm from, um, for our, like kind of my customer base. But it's funny because this topic is coming up a lot. And it's a lot of people are like, man, how did you get started? And people have this assumption that I've been scripting since since I started at previous company, right? Or that, mm-hmm. that I have a big history in it. And I don't. Um, really, I started scripting. You know, I'd done little powershell things here and there, like just, you know, give me information about the system, right? Or dump into an Excel. But it was always like one-liners. Um, I didn't start actually scripting until about six months into my private cloud project when I realized that in order to do really anything relevant inside of VRA, I was going to need to learn how to interact with REST APIs and learn really JavaScript. And I'm decent at JavaScript now, but I didn't learn Python until my second daughter was born. So my first daughter is four now. My second daughter is a year and a half. And I made this goal for myself that, look, I'd never dug into a real programming language. I'd never started learning how to script. And when I was off on break, I said, I'm going to learn Python. I'm going to, you know, anyone who's got new kids or had kids, they understand that the first three months, you have a lot of time as a dad, right? (laughs) You have a lot of time yourself. And especially when you go out on leave for your, your, your bonding time, there's a lot of naps. So I hit it hard. So I'm really only two, maybe two and a half years into into Python and Damn. really only about a year and a half into heavy Python. Man, you could have fooled me. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but, you know, it's funny, though. I think that a lot of people will jump in and they'll say, I'm going to take a college course, right? I'm going to drop a grand and do this online class on it. Worst decision ever. Really? Pick something. Yeah. Pick something that you want to do. For me, for me, I got started with Python from a reporting perspective, I wanted to pull data out of APIs, format it back, and be able to look at it on a web page. And I did that internally at my previous company, and executives loved it, right? They didn't have to be that pretty. Um, I ended up picking up a, a site called pythonprogramming.net. This guy, Harrison Kingsley, does it. And 
it was this whole tutorial about using Flask and Python. Flask inside of Python is a, is a web framework. Mm. And it's really about building APIs, but it, it really got me started with, you know, how do I take these API endpoints and write little mini scripts inside of them, right? So pulling data out and then formatting it, returning it back. And it was just, it, it once I had a use case that was actually like relevant to me, I just got, I was hooked and it made stuff really easy. And then I tried to jump from that to Golang and that was about maybe a year into Python. I was like, I'm gonna, I want to pick up Golang. It's the cool thing, right? All the cool kids are picking up Go. And I couldn't do it. I, I fell flat on my face. I couldn't I couldn't figure it out. It's because I tried to run before I was ready to walk, yeah. right? So I went back to Python and I said, I, I got to focus on a couple things. And I actually started building a Python um, a Python framework just out of for fun, right? Just started mm-hmm. playing with it and saying, I'm going to build something that lets me do, you know, Python vra call and it would do a rest api call and it would translate that command into a call so i started to learn how to build classes and my own methods and stuff like that and once i did that it just clicked and then i went back to go and i was able to read it and i was like wow i know what's going on here and then i went into went into like node you know real javascript inside of like node.js and i was like wow i can actually read this and get it yeah people can get started with you know scripting python i guarantee that spending two hours on one of these with somebody, we could get people started in a really good way, right? Like we could do a webcast for an hour or two hours and people would walk away like, wow, this is not that hard. This is actually doable. Um, so Chris, what, what would you say is the one question, maybe two questions that, customers come to you and they don't ask what they should ask when it comes to public cloud or AWS or anything like this that they don't ask, but that they should ask. Um, I didn't mean to put you on the spot, but no, 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 no. That's, that's, that's a great question. Um, what other, other than the cost of the EC2 instances and the disks, what other costs are involved in moving to public cloud? What, what other, I mean, not, not so much the soft costs, but, but the, but the costs of the other services that I, that I might be consuming. Um, because what, what a lot of people don't know is that it's, it, you can transfer data in for free, but data coming out mm-hmm. is, is what costs money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you have to have a, a better than average idea of your, of your own traffic flow um, to, to get a good idea of, of, of the cost of things and the cost of running a website. If, if, you, if you have a website with a whole bunch of little files, that's going to cost less than, than a, a website with a whole bunch of big files. Like if you're, if you're downloading a bunch of stuff or if you're a provider, then that's going to that's cost more. Um, and let's see, what's, what's, another, what's another good question? Um, Billing alerts. Yeah, yeah actually, that, that's, a, that's a great point. Um, Ryan Krausen just posted an article on setting up detailed billing alerts. Yep. How to, how to set up a billing alerts mm-hmm. um, and, and how to, how to set up your budget in your, in your environment. What is, what is it that you expect it to burn and, and how to set up alerts on what happens when it, when it totally blows that out of the water. Yeah. And, that, and I think with that, it's more a matter of when it happens. Yeah. Cause yeah. unless you're a pretty static business you're going to hit that pretty quickly. 
It's in, and that that's also dependent upon you know how you provision your boxes. So there's this thing called IOPS provisioning in in your disks, and you can provision like a, a reserved amount of IOPS that that guarantees flu, flow through on 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 your on your EBS instances, and you can you can dial that up to like thirty thousand, I think, is is the top. That costs an arm and a leg, even if you're even if you're not actually using it. Sim simply reserving the space. Um, cause causes your your meter to burn a lot faster than than if you had not set it at all, or if you had set it at a, at a lower moderate moderate setting. And the only reason that I know that is because one of our customers was like, "Oh, I got this massive backend database. It needs tons of disk. It's got it needs all the things. Give it mm -hmm. all the things." So so when I attached EBS volumes to it, I, I set it up for the max amount of, of IOPS reserved, and it started like burning three grand. Uh, um, three grand a, a week oh, wow. so it's like Ooh. oh my, I, I don't need that much you can you can dial that back chris <laughs> all right so is that sort of the hedge against the noisy neighbors syndrome where you can it reserve is. that it stuff yeah. yeah it's basically an elastic block storage um is is a networked attached device to your server and and by by guaranteeing the iops throughput to it you're you're basically qosing your drive into into your ec2 instance um that qos has cost a premium so so um and and honestly the guy didn't didn't need that at all i mean when when we finally actually looked at the real numbers after we dialed it all down to zero and and saw the throughput it was it was all ram yeah the the actual the actual need was ram on the box so we put it we put a redis cache in front of it and and that actually gave him far better performance than than all this provision backend disk stuff i mean, it, I mean you, correct me if i'm wrong but i i would say the majority or maybe correct me if you have a different experience but the majority of stuff that i've seen in vsphere environments specifically is majority of the time virtual machines are over provisioned anyways oh yeah absolutely so when you go from provisioning you know if you're a traditional it vsphere guy and you're provisioning machines in a cloud service how do you figure out what you really need when you're provisioning these things because now you have to really pay attention to what you're building <laughs> and what it uh. needs so always to give what the vendor says they need always yes that that because that 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 all of a sudden every answer right there wow. all, all of a sudden as an as an it person you're not just an it person you're kind of a bean counter yep, yeah totally and so i'm sure i'm sure there are now full-time positions where it's somebody watching the, the meter i i actually i actually have uh, uh two great answers for that um so if you are running a VMware environment, then VROPS is, is the thing to use. Mm -hmm. um, I, spent, I spent two years at Kronos uh, in, in, their, in their private cloud division, um, standing up and testing different uh, monitoring and metric tools. And, and VROPS, plus with a, along with a vRealize for Business, is a phenomenal, phenomenal tool for actually looking at a box and seeing what it's actually using. If you, if you have an existing VMware environment, and you are thinking about moving into the public cloud, in, in my dream scenario, you would stand up VROPs in the environment, let it burn for like three months, get a really fine-tuned look at exactly what your boxes actually genuinely need in your current environment, and then and then when you're, when you're moving them up, you're not doing a lift and shift, you're resizing them as you move them up. Okay. Um, the other tool, that if you wanted to move things from from a cloud to a cloud, it would be Cloud Checker. Um, cloud Checker is is effectively 
VROPs on AWS. So you can use Cloud Checker on your AWS environment and that will tell you, okay, you've got an M4 large here, but actually all you need is just a vanilla M4 because you're not burning anywhere near as much RAM or disk as you thought you were going to use. So you might as well just resize this under. Hmm, so, cool. so when you're resizing, just kind of to wrap the stuff up here with our AWS, mm -hmm. is it something where you have to completely reprovision a box or can you like step it down without actually, you know, deleting stuff and starting over? I have written two fantastic articles on exactly how to do that, both with in an right. HA environment with zero downtime. And so, so the, the, the short answer is you have to turn the box off right click on it, choose resize <laughs> and, and select the new size that you want. All right. I'll, I'll add that to the notes. Very straightforward. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's so, so I, I wrote an article. Um, if you have a, a multi AZ RDS environment, or, uh, RDS is, is their, is their database offering. Um, okay. You can, if you, if you have a, a multi AZ environment, you can actually resize your entire environment with zero downtime. If you have a single instance, you have to turn that instance off, then you can resize it and then bring it back up again. Enterprises who, I mean, I, I guess yeah, this is a dumb question maybe, but but because I, like I know there's, there's local hospitals in town here where they literally have everything. So yeah. they have, you know, they have HPs, they have, you know, EMCs, they have Hitachis, they have, v, they probably have vSAN, they have Nutanix, they have it all. So, mm -hmm. so in that regard, yes, it probably is for larger enterprises who want to have everything because they already have everything anyway. So what's in one more? Well, think about it. Think about it from the perspective of like when I was working for that financial or financial service provider, right? We would go and we would we would put forth some you know new initiative, whether it was a new product that we were offering or other, and we would go and we would get dedicated hard for, hardware for that. Well. Over the course of dedicated hardware for a particular application, or um, let's say the the life cycle of that storage, you know, is now over, and we're migrating to something else because we got a better deal or whatnot. There was a constant churn in every environment that I've ever worked on when it came to storage. You know, one minute we're doing, you know, let's say NetApp storage, the next minute we're doing EMC storage. Two years before that, we were doing on this other application where you do we're using hp you know a year before that where you're using ibm all that's still around and and that type of thing and and you know i think it's a i think it's a bit what's the word i'm looking for i think it's a little unrealistic for anyone to think that vm uh vmware and vsan or or any other storage you know platform for that matter is going to come in and completely wipe out everything else yeah i really do right um but with that being said you know what type of customers do we target Everybody, everybody. Now, um, there from time to time, there are use cases that we may not be the best on or we may not be certified on yet, that type of thing. But then in other cases, we may completely blow away, you know, some of the competition as far as that goes. Now, and when I say blow away, that's that could be performance related. It could be capacity utilization related. It could be flexibility related or it could be even cost, right? I mean, there's yeah. a bunch of different ways you can measure that whole blow away a part of the conversation, yeah. but um, I, I remember talking with a healthcare customer about mm, about two years ago, and they were doing. Um, it was a company in the U.S., but they had most of their deployments over in Europe. And what they would do is they would buy a new company, and then they would ship off a very very small array. They would get everything migrated over to that array locally in the in that site, and then what they would do is they would. They would then replicate everything back, and then once everything was replicated back, they would take that little bit array, little bitty array that they had, 
and they would reclaim it and it would basically go sit on a shelf. And I started talking to them and I said, you know, why, why are you guys doing that? And they said, well, we could use them, but then we've got all these interfaces of all these different places that we've acquired and we've got to maintain them all independently. And I said, well, you know, if you changed over to vSAN, then as soon as you brought those hosts back from the remote site, you can roll them right into the clusters that you have here, right? That type of thing. You know, going further, let's say today that, you know, you're a Dell customer, just as an example, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say you're Dell today. And then you find out tomorrow that, that HPE or Supermicro, Lenovo, whoever is going to give you a better deal. With vSAN, is still vSphere on top. Still the same exact management. Migrate everything over. You don't have to learn anything new. You don't have to worry about training people differently. People who can easily manage the, you know, the vSphere environment don't ever have to do I mean, it. Obviously, the vSphere environment changes from time to time. We had the old C-sharp client and the yeah. web client. Still and then in some environments now, we've got the HTML5, you know. Yeah, a lot of people do. <laughs> but we had the, we had the uh, if you go back, like when I was first doing ESX back in, uh, you know, 04 time frame, we had the MUI in the MUI, which was a web-based um, interface on each host, you know, pre-vCenter days, you know, that type wow. of thing. but. You know, but but those those have a little bit of a lifespan, and there's not that much change, and it really doesn't doesn't matter what type of hardware you have underneath. That's the great part about it. Well, <laughs> so. the big the big thing that I want I want to say though is is um, to anybody watching, you know, or listening, you know, for that matter, that type of thing is is participate. Yeah, be part of the community, right? Whether it's a you know networking focused community, compute focused, you know, application focused, storage focused, whatever. Be part of the community, right? Mm -hmm. um, People, you know, quite often think that they don't have anything to bring to the table when they absolutely do, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I highly recommend people attend VMUGs, and if there's an opportunity for you to speak or whiteboard or whatever, take the opportunity to, right? Um, when I was a customer, I never imagined I would be on the vendor side ever. Um, and then I participated quite a bit in the VMTN forums and, you know, uh, provided some answers, asked some questions, you know, whatnot. Um, met some really, really great folks, really good buddy of mine. I've known him for, I don't know, 13, 14 years now, Steve Beaver, a uh, guy that I um, got rolled into kind of last minute on uh, a book on, v on VI3, actually. So he and David Marshall and I all worked together on a book. But important parts that I'm trying to get to is, is if I hadn't been part of the community, mm -hmm. I couldn't have learned what I learned and I couldn't have got to the point where I'm now contributing and sharing as in the fashion I am, right? Yeah. So I, I think you guys are doing a great job by having the GigaCast, giga you know, and, uh, uh, you know, bringing that. I mean, obviously, there, there are tons of podcasts and tons of – but but they, to me, as long as we're furthering the conversation, um, you know – whether it be technology-wise or processes-wise or, or whatever, you know, as long as we're sharing and people can consume that, whether they actually come back and contribute to it, mm -hmm. it's good, right? And, um, I mean, Tony, you and I probably wouldn't know each other if it weren't for community, right? Exactly. You know, VMUGs and, yeah. and whatnot. So, so I challenge anybody that thinks that they don't have a, a good message to share that they – they should share it. If you've learned something, there's going to be somebody out there that doesn't know what you've learned. Mm -hmm. And if you tell them, you know, Hey, look, this is what I experienced. This is why so on and so forth. I didn't really understand it. I do now. Here's why, whatever, so on and so forth. Don't look at it as an, you know, 
don't look at any opportunity of sharing failure as you messing up, but as more of a learning experience. And if you can share that with somebody else and you can help them, that's awesome. You know, and, yeah. and I, I try to work with, with, you know, quite a few people in the industry and I kind of mentor a bit and nothing would please me more. Um, you know, if somebody that I mentored and somebody that I helped that may be, you know, five years younger than me, 15 years younger than me, whatever, if they end up being more successful than me, hey, you know, I think I've done what, you know, part of what God has kind of put me here to do as far yeah. as that goes. All right. Forgive me, but you are basically a living, breathing American dream story. Sure. <laughs> I'll... I'll I'll, I'll preface that with uh, not really, but I'll explain, right? Okay, so t- so t- tell us the story because I want to hear this, and I think it's I think it's a good background that I've never heard from you before. So oh, excellent! So yeah, you're having a and, lot of other and, people telling their story. We want to hear yours. Sure, sure, sure. I love it. Um, I actually told a lot of this in in a little recording I did with AJ on the Undetected, which is another podcast. But if you already heard that it's probably there's going to be a lot of a rehash but i'll try to make this interesting right i'll try sure. to make this even better so i um, was born in 19 i shouldn't put my birthday on the internet but i'm about 37 years old and um yeah was born in costa rica my father's and my father and mother costa rican and i lived there till about five years old when my father took a job in honduras honduras is two countries above costa rica in central america People tend to confuse it with Puerto Rico, which is an island. Costa Rica is a country in Central America. So I went to live to Honduras 11 years, came back. 16-year-old, basically finished high school in Costa Rica. That was the whole objective that my parents wanted me to get into college, into Costa Rica. So I went to college knowing that I love computers, but you know I had no idea IT existed. So I went for an electronics engineering degree. And by the end of that, I found that we had a networking elective, which basically gave you the first two CCNA courses. And I was like, oh, Jesus, this is great. It's, I can learn online and it's pretty cool. I, I want more. So that's how I got into IT. I got into IT by way of Cisco. Um, I started working as a knock engineer. And it was a fun, fun little job because we were doing three languages we were doing english spanish and portuguese i didn't know any portuguese they actually brought on on site an an instructor and she was super nice so we we stayed for her classes and we learned portuguese so we were taking calls from people and this used to be think of it like a very small western union Mm -hmm. so knock engineer meant monitoring uptime actually carrying out the playbooks when something broke. So we only had one server guy and one network guy. And if they were on call, they would tell us, okay, so that probably means that this is down. So go ahead and run scenario three. And we would log into the devices and do this thing and see if it, if it worked. Wow. Uh, it, was pretty, it was pretty cool because they got a lot of exposure, right? Mm-hmm. I had done a lot of work with SNMP monitoring as part of my uh, graduation project. So when I came into this company, they had they were the knock, but they didn't have like a monitoring station. So I helped them set that up, and I traveled to Belgium for a while because they had just bought an IBM uh, System C mainframe that were they were going to run. 
uh, SUSE, virtual machines, huh? That was my first time seeing virtual machines in production. I had seen like VMware virtual server in college, but I thought it was cute. But but this was my first time seeing Linux and seeing virtual machines. So I came back, gave that training, um, got promoted to team lead. Then at some point I said, well, this uh, $1,000 a month salary is not going to cut it, right? I want to get a master's. Let me see if I can get a raise. Okay. And they said, we really don't want you to get a master's deadpan. And I'm like, mm, this doesn't sound like the job for me. Yeah. So I looked for another job that paid $2,000 a month, and I found it as a end-user support coordinator for a basically the call centers. Costa Rica has a bunch of call centers because people found out that they liked the accent better and they could find like, technical people. Okay. Um, so I was the end-user support coordinator for a company called Stream. Became manager, became regional, which was Central America and Latin America manager for end-user support. But my boss moved from any support to servers. And I had some server experience from my previous knock job. And I told him, listen, I would really like to continue working with you. And he said, well, I have two positions. And they're really good positions, they're global positions. But they're out in the U.S. Let's go back a little bit. I, When I came back from Honduras, I basically started living in front of a girl who was in the seventh grade when I was in the 10th grade. And um, we would get on the bus together and stuff like that. And she was nice and everything, but nothing happened there. We both moved out of there. She found me back on high five and we started talking to Messenger while she was doing her stuff and I was finishing my my uh, thesis or my graduation project. Mm-hmm. And we found out that we liked each other. So that's how I met Amy, my wife. We basically started dating the day that I graduated. I literally cool. started working the day after that. So nice. I've always been working with Amy with, with me. And um, we got married in October 2010. 10, 10, 10, actually, which is what for me was super geeky. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, I want to get married on a date I will never forget. And it <laughs> calculate. So 10, 10, 10, she, it fell on a Sunday, which was what she wanted. And I wanted to be geeky. So it worked out really well. Cool. So, so what you see here is um, you see the servers on top with SSDs. Um, hold on, how do I get rid of this? And are there cache and capacity disks like vSAN has, or is it just straight up SSD for multi-purpose? Just a straight up SSD. We don't have any overhead of RAID or erasure coding or anything like that uh, because the data is protected in the data pool. So if you lose a server, it doesn't matter. We just quickly upload the data into a different server where the VM or the application is running now. From the data? Um, yes. Okay. And because we run in, always on inline deduplication and compression, mm-hmm. those SSDs, uh, and there, by the way, there's no option to disable, right? So it's everything that I tell you here is always on, always on compression, always on deduplication, always on the erasure coding. It's, it's everything given uh, for you um, as part of the solution. You don't have as an administrator to make you no. Know, uh, is this going to work with this? Is that no? Is this a better solution for this other application? We actually did some tests. Um, yes, yeah, some applications are incompressible, right? They're not going to be compressible. Mm-hmm. Some applications that have a very low level of deduplication and so on. 
But across um, a wide range of workloads, we've done some tests. If you were to actually choose what to enable and disable for certain applications, you may would get back one or two percent of your total compute. So everything is on by default. It's very simple. There's nothing to actually um, manage. So going back to the architecture. So yeah, so it looks like you're complete cross-platform. I see you've got VMware in there, you've got Red Hat. So you have that all different compute nodes and then it's on the same shared data node. Correct. Okay, that's interesting. Correct. Yeah, imagine, imagine, you know, imagine a, a same, now you pull the controllers out, make it as a software stack in each one of the servers with SSDs on the server. And the system is, is intelligent enough to make sure that all the data that you need for that server is on the server, run, living on those SSDs. And a copy of the data is stored, fully protected, N plus two in this data pool. So this kind of this kind of seems to me like it's kind of a split of legacy SAN and vSAN. I mean, you you have hey, not vSAN necessarily, HCI, right? In, right, in HCI overall. But it looks like you've got your SSD kind of caching tier. You said you can keep things tiered up there on the individual nodes to make them run faster. But and it's kind yes, of a it would all technology. It would be caching if we had uh, only the hot data there, right? The, uh, the, the data that's in use at the moment. You but because it. of the inline the duplication and compression, and because we don't have the overhead of you know, rage as an example, um, and we, because we size the servers to feed the entire data set on the server, it becomes really your outflash solution and not just hot caching as an example. Okay. So it is used for storage on the nodes as well. It is used for storage on the node as well, yes. So then the data node is used for what exactly? It's for... So that's your backup. So backup. if you look at the, the top tier and see there's your all flash array, everything is flash. And then see the secondary part, the bottom, the data pool, as your cohesity, as your rubric. You know, scale out, backup for your data sets. That's the way you see. So now I have customers that come back to me and say, hey, um, so do I need to keep paying you know, my existing backup vendor? Um, uh, my answer is it depends. Uh, we will take care of your backup for sure, just like Rubrik and Cohesity will do it, but we do that for workloads and applications running on Daytrim. And the reality is that data centers uh, have solutions and sy systems that have been running for the past 15, 20 years, um, run on you know, the different types of you know, in-guest backups and a bunch of different things that we are not focused in providing. And that's why we partner with, you know, Cohesity is a big partner, Rubrik is a partner, Veeam is a partner, um, and we all work together. Yeah, and then does your data node, does that uh, replicate to cloud then if you need to? Uh yeah, so that's the second piece. And I think stretching to, stretching to another data center somewhere else if you have more space to put things. Yeah, I was not planning to present that, but Sorry. I think you, you, cross DTM <laughs> replication. I think you enjoy this. So, 
So yes, there you see. So you have also the all flash primary storage uh, with VMware, Red Hat, all you know, new and existing servers and any vendor you want, just make sure it's compatible with the hypervisor. We are not a hypervisor company. We don't aim to be a hypervisor company. I think hypervisor is, is done, that's it, right? It's not, there's not much to do there anymore. Um, you have your scale all data protection, a petabyte scale from one to 10, you know, data integrity and, and everything. You actually check for all the data um, across the entire stack every six hours. So just to make sure that the data is correct there, right? So then from there, you have the ability to replicate data. And by the way, we do what we call universal deduplication. So whenever, in, not in one system or multiple systems, we send data that has already been created. So we have rep native replication to a secondary site. So you know, we only send data that has not been, uh, it's not duplicated, right? Okay. To the point where you can install Datum on your secondary site, load your two-year-old um, Veeam or whatever backup that you have, backup exec data that you have on Datum and say, replicate now. We will only replicate New data. The stuff that has changed since that two-year-old backup. Yeah. That's right. Wow. So this is, we, we don't have even underlying, underlying the concept of like, you know, vid, we support VDISCs and all that, but it's all you know, very granular data, you know, bits of data. So we have customers that are shipping their um, data to Europe, American customers, because we're not selling yet in 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 Europe, but they're shipping there, they're loading their backups and they initiate the replication. It's only the data that is unique that it will actually be shipped over there. And, and that's fully compressed as well and protected. And we have, now I'll talk about encryption and FIPS in, in a moment. Well, but, um, and that I think is- That's, that's unique. There's nobody yeah, that's, on that, the market to be doing that. That is huge. So Aaron, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about what you do, how you got to yeah. where you are today. Um, you know, where did you start out? How did you fall into this business of computers and IT and technology and all yeah. that kind of good stuff? Yeah. Um, okay. So the question there is how far back do I go? Start at the very beginning. Um, the very beginning. Um, I can remember typing class in middle school. Thought that was that was just awesome. Was it on I actual computers writing. or was it on yeah. like typewriters? Yeah, no, no, no. It was actual computers. <laughs> I'm technically a millennial as much as I push back on that. <laughs> I don't think I've ever actually touched a typewriter. Okay. Uh, no, um, you know, I just remember being fascinated by that and uh, you could kind of see um, the potential there, right? Um, this is like before the internet was really a thing, right? Uh, you know, it was this little application in my, gosh, I want to say like sixth grade classroom. I mean, we had computers in fourth grade, I remember. Um, we played things like, I think it was the first edition of Oregon Trail. I said, yes. that's like the first memory I have of computers is. Did you die of dysentery? Yeah, many times, many times. <laughs> and then I would be like, man, this is, this is incredible. And I'd come home and uh, my dad had a, had a laptop and 
it, it was, I don't even remember anything about it other than I basically had a, I don't know what it was that he was giving me, but it was basically a, it looked like a command prompt. I mean, it was just a black screen. Um, and I was just typing green letters all day long and just like working on typing, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, fascination kind of started with that. Um, and then I was, I, I was a huge fan of like music is just, um, I don't know, a big part of who I am and my life. And what happened with the internet, I don't even really need to get into it. Your, your audience is very aware of it. Um, as far as MP3s and all that kind of stuff. Um, I can remember in probably seventh or eighth grade, um, figuring that game out. Um, and so that got me learning more and more. What? Yeah. Naps, like the likes (laughs) of Napster, et cetera. Yeah. MP3s Um, and music was like the training ground for so many sysadmins. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so that's I would say that's kind of the beginning of uh, of the end for me. <laughs> um, so that was just always a passion, um, or not a, not a passion, but um, I guess a hobby, right? Um, and I was building my MP3 library and all that kind of stuff. I've only recently, maybe maybe past maybe three years ago, kind of uh, since I like kind of walked away from my MP3 library and I just use streaming services now. But uh, gosh, I used to spend time like organizing and and figuring out exactly how i wanted the naming schemes and how i wanted things sorted and how i was going to store everything Mm -hmm. ridiculous ridiculous time consumption i I tried to do that so many times and after a while i'm just like this is stupid yeah normalizing the audio mp3 gain yes yeah Yeah. do you remember winamp oh yeah Yeah. it kicks the llama's ass yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) all that stuff um, and then in college, I had a couple of different jobs. I tried to get into, uh, the IT department in college. Um, I had a friend that, that did it. I didn't know that at the time, but, um, uh, maybe if he had gotten fired, I would have gotten the job, but it ended up working out. So, um, I worked at the gym and then I worked at, uh, what they called the alumni outreach program, um, at the university. And basically I was calling alumni all the time, um, to try to sell them on why they should support the university boosters and a, and a friend yeah exactly uh and a friend of mine there knew somebody at dell and um that person at dell was recruiting my friend and said hey you know you can work phones you can talk to people uh maybe you want to come sell servers uh, so hey why don't you come apply and that was the best thing i had going for me uh it was you know this was in oklahoma city uh where one of the dell facilities are they've got three call centers round rock oklahoma city and nashville um, and i was in oklahoma at the time and um, it, uh, it was the best option I had in front of me. Uh, Michael Dell came to town um, right, uh, let's see, like right before or right after I applied. I can't remember. Um, I thought that was really cool that he, he came and, and actually spent time there and uh, got to listen to him speak for, I don't know, an hour, hour and a half or something like that. And I really liked what he had to say and um, respected him. And uh, my only other options were like selling insurance or – um, you know, I don't know. I had an economics degree. Um, so I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do with that, but I was fascinated by, uh, by how the, all that stuff, stuff worked. Um, so I started selling servers in 2006 and, um, what's interesting, it, it just kind of like I propelled through that within, within a couple years, I was basically at the highest end that you could be inside the call center. Um, and it's not that it's not because I was smarter or anything from that perspective. It was, um, just the fact that I was, was, I, 
maybe maybe I cared about it or pushed myself right. Um, and I'm I'm a super competitive person as well. And so with this whole like selling, hope that I just mute myself. No, no we still hear you. Okay, perfect. Um, selling the these uh, these servers to SMBs that were calling online, they're just like, hey, you know, I've got a, I'm trying to spin up a SQL app. I need help, you know, designing a RAID config for protection or whatever. Um, and I'm working around all these other people that would rather go outside and take a smoke break. And you took turns as the calls came in, right? And so I would take their calls, and it was easy money because then every single month I was hitting 180 plus percent of my quota only because I was taking their calls. Right. Oh, that's awesome. um, and it just got addicting and I was getting paid more for it. Um, and so I just became one of the higher end server specialists and I was like, man, okay. So the more I know about this, the more I can, um, you know, help a customer ex- like I can explain to them and I can get them into bigger, better things. And then I learned about storage area networks. Um, and, and that's when I was like, Oh man. So getting into storage design seems really cool, really complex. Um, you know, fun, unique challenges. Uh, so then I switched over to that. And then by the end of uh, 2009, um, I was the senior subject matter expert for selling storage, which at the time was EMC um, and uh, let's see, Equalogic as well, because uh, they had bought Equalogic in February of 2008. So okay. um, that's when the, the Dell EMC rift started to happen, uh, right? When, when, um, when Dell bought Equalogic, uh, EMC didn't really like that. And there was a lot of, a lot of tension there. So we can dive into that if you, if you want some explanation on that. But, um, and that was, I mean, that was kind of it. I, I became a, just an expert in storage area networks. Uh, in about four years, I felt like I knew everything there was to know. I constantly kind of doubted myself, um, because there was all this older technology that I didn't really understand. Um, but technology was changing so fast. Yeah. So as soon as I started to realize that, um, I was like, man, I can quickly become an expert because there's all this new stuff that's coming at us. So, and then the only difference from there is I decided, okay, I don't want to do this in a call center anymore. I want to go do this on site at customer locations. So in 2010, I went out into the field as a systems engineer or systems consultant. Um, sometimes they're called, um, for a, for a VAR and, uh, just had a blast doing it. And then ended up getting an offer to come back to Dell. Um, I went to a, let me get this right. I think it was a Dell VAR that I was trying to introduce EMC portfolio into. Mm-hmm. And then I went back to Dell and we were selling Equalogic and Compellent. And then I went to another VAR that was Dell and I was trying to introduce EMC storage into it. Um, and then I left that VAR and went to EMC um, and then Dell bought EMC. So yeah. here I am. So there's some there's some finer details and more steps along of the way course, there, but, but that's, that's the gist of it. So I've always been at a manufacturer or at a VAR. I've never actually been at a customer. That's something I kind of wish that I had. Uh, both of you guys have that experience. You guys actually have walked the walk, right? Whereas I just talk the talk and pretend every day. Right? <laughs> Y'all have been behind the keyboards and, and and done it all. Yeah, well, and it's it, it, it's a bittersweet probably place to be. I mean, yeah, you know. Yeah. As, as Tony can attest to, you know, some sometimes your experience with with VARs and other things is, doesn't always go the way you want it to, and you end yeah. up having to make up for their failings. Lack of knowledge. Yeah, for sure. But I, I always wish that I had been a customer, um, that I had that aspect yeah. of it. Um, it's a, and at you, this point, you, it doesn't make sense for me to do that. But um, you, you, I, you the people that I've worked with. Yeah, exactly. The people that I've worked with in the past um, that have come into the manufacturer side or the VAR side that have come from customers, I've seen them be the most successful. 
Answer me this one question if you can. <laughs> okay. There, there's been a rumor that VMware is not that, you know, in, excited by the sales numbers for V, for NSX, for vSphere. Okay. And that basically they're shelving it more or less. They're not going to kill it completely. Mm-hmm. And all developmental resources are going into NSXT for the foreseeable future. NSX for vSphere is our core product in the NSBU. We talk about it every day. I will go into a brand new customer tomorrow. I will talk about V. I will sell the V. You sh- when it comes down to any of our products and how far they're going to go and what their timeline looks like, don't discount any product until there's an official announcement saying that it's not going to be around anymore. Okay. Because until that day, there are developers for it. Stuff's happening. We're selling it. We believe in it and everything. Okay. So as of this very moment, there is absolutely no reason to uh, to not use V and have confidence in it. All right. Well, I mean, I, I have plenty of confidence in it, and I realize they've sold <laughs> enough of it that they're not going to just, you know. I wish we could sell more, but well, yeah, yeah. And, and that's and that's that's another personal gripe I have with 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 the sales unit for the pro or the product team, I guess, the product management team for NSX for vSphere because it just I see uh, on the smaller business side of things, I see so many other applications for it that I can't use it for because the licensing doesn't exist. Like what? So. Because I'd like just, to hear this. Even just the okay. So here's here's the thing. Just this week, uh-huh. I'm putting together proposals for some clients on, and these are small businesses, right? They're like 25, 30 employees. Sure. They have you know one or two vSphere hosts. They're really small. Uh-huh. Um, but they all they're all they're all really starting to get really good bandwidth now, and uh-huh. so it makes a lot more sense for them to start to move some stuff into some cloud host providers like OVH. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, you know, a place like that where I can get a, ser- a physical server, you know, for 100 bucks, 200 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. And instead of them having to spend five, 10 grand on a server all at once, they can sp- spread it out and they can host all their stuff in a sure. center somewhere else. Yeah. OPEX so, versus CAPEX. Yeah. And so that's that's starting to make really a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. Now, you buy a ho- the way OVH works, you buy a host, it's yours. You get the box. Right. And you can load on it in, a, in you know, ESXi, whatever. Mm-hmm. 6.0, 6.5 is the two they have available right now. Um, the, you, you can buy, you basically, you get a management IP on it, and then you can buy additional IPs to, you know, host servers yeah. on side, inside of it. <laughs> so you can install a virtual firewall in the machine mm-hmm. which then gives you even more flexibility about what you can hood it you know put under the hood inside of that one host so naturally I'm like this would be a great play for nsx right yep so single host yeah, yeah. <laughs> a single host nsx is weird but it's doable in certain certain ways and yes and, and no. So that yeah. that right there is an architectural thing because yeah. even NSXT that doesn't rely on vSphere, it's not like tied to it. Mm-hmm. It still relies on vCenter in order to get objects from the configuration but, database. But today it's not really single host. It's like they have th- they'll have three 
but you know it's like vSphere Essentials Plus or Essentials. I mean, it's three hosts. Does it have a vCenter server? Yes. Technically, technically, the licensing should work as long as you have a vCenter. You have VDS installed on each one of the hosts or whatever you do, because if we require, you know that. Yep. Um, I have it, it working today in the lab. It should work just fine. Is there a EULA thing against that? Because I, I don't see in what, our... What I'm running into is, is it's a cost thing. So even if I were to sell the customer NSX standard, standard doesn't come with VPN. True. So that immediately cripples what you can do with yep. it. So basically, it basically makes it useless for this use case. Well, um, if you want to do security, then you need advanced at least for microsec anyways. Yeah. But, but I'm just even talking about just purely from a connectivity standpoint of, right. you know, being able to hook, hook the host up on an IPsec tunnel, you know, from the cloud host to the on, on-site host. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, have, have some management connections in, in, inside, wrapped inside a VPN tunnel. Right. Which I can't yeah, that do makes, that makes sense. on NSX standard. For, the, for, so, for, for NSX, we can get NSX Pro now, but that's thirty nine ninety five plus support for a year and now i can yeah i can go to i'm gonna say a bad word fortinet <laughs> and hey they're buy, a perfect partner with ours we love fortinet and i can buy from them a virtual fortinet vm that is about the same spec size as an nsx edge gateway the, the mid medium one um mm-hmm. and it can do everything the edge gateway does and then some and sure. it's 1600 bucks out the door yeah that makes sense so, so that, it's that's an like, interesting use case that you put together there and it kind of reminds me of like <clears throat> the the way that i would in my head get around that is doing like nsx for robo which is done as a per vm pricing instead of that um, but that, that's an interesting use case that I, I, it's honestly never been, you know, proposed to me. Um, and it's interesting enough that I'm going to put that information together and send it to the SE and PM threads that would and be helpful. see what they would have to say about that. Cause I'm interested in what the answer to that is now. Because to me, it's like, I have, I have always seen it this way, Tim, you have vSphere essentials for small mm-hmm. businesses who have, you know, a few hosts that they want to manage yeah. the vCenter. Why isn't there? And the restriction with that is you get six CPUs. That you know, six CPUs, you're done. Three hosts. Yeah, either six single sockets or you know three dual sockets. It's, what have you? Yeah, it's three three hosts is basically the the rule. Why isn't there an NSX Essentials that has basically almost all of the feature set of Enterprise Plus, but you're limited to using it in this small little cluster? I love the idea. I absolutely do. And it makes sense. And it's one of those things where most people, when they think about selling NSX, they think about, you know, really large customers and stuff like that. You know, your eBay, PayPal's and your Nikes and stuff like that. Um, But honestly, our commercial business, like the small to medium shop guys, they've got steady customers, like constantly doing what to have, you know, your five and 10 host clusters and stuff like that. Um, so why not go a step lower than that and have something that matches up with the essentials? I, I agree entirely. Yeah, and, and that, that's been my biggest gripe with most of VMware stuff is you have you have like this little teeny tiny, you know, 
I, I, I think Aaron Bewley said something about being a cocaine dealer. You have something to give just the taste, you know, first one's free, man. Yeah. First one's free. And, and it's just like, like as, as an independent consultant who deals with a lot of small businesses, <laughs> this is my bag. And, you know, I could sell this stuff all day. We're, we're here to listen to customers. For us, most of our customers, like a large portion of those come through partners like you. Yeah. So please send your feedback. We'll send it to PMs. I guarantee you are not the only independent consultant that wants to sell NSX to Essentials customers. I guarantee it. If we can get enough of those together, then they'll do something about it. That's just that's how well, product management well, works. You point. you answer the questions of everybody based on what makes sense to the business. You know, my my first install with NSX was my former employer, and they were their primary customer cluster was a four hose cluster. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had they were in, they were an enterprise licensed customer, but four hose, four hose. And, and and when we showed them the initial marketing stuff for NSX when it came out, because we were looking for a microsig solution for the business, you know, the the response from the people in, in the room was just like, why wouldn't we do this? You'd be stupid not to. Yeah, exactly. And and so we're just like, okay, <laughs> that was really easy to sell. <laughs> <laughs> So, for those who might be listening who have not gone before, Heath, what is the number one thing a rookie needs to do? You know, like everybody says on the Twitters, wear comfy shoes. Um, That's very important. You'll walk miles and miles if you're willing to do that. Um, But outside of that, I mean, it depends upon what you're going for. Uh, I remember the first time I went, I went and attended all the sessions and I learned so much from so many people. Um, and so there's some people on, you know, when you're reading the Twitters on some of those uh, people asking, what what do I do? They're saying, don't go to any sessions because they're recorded. Well, that's true, but there's I think there's value in going if it's a topic that you're interested in um, and being able to see the engineers or the coders that develop that product live. Um, I got a lot of value out of that the first couple times I went. And then after several years, I stopped um, going to the sessions and started going only to sessions that were tagged as expert or futures because the future stuff is wicked cool um, whenever they're showing those things off. Um, and then spending more time on the show floor, um, going booth to booth and figuring out what's coming up in the industry because uh, all these new characters that show up at the trade show floor are going to get bought out probably by somebody or become something amazing. And uh, you get to see it typically here at VMworld first. Good tip. Cool. Yeah, excellent. Tony, I leave the next question to you. You can pick from the gallery. Um, this question is going to be for probably Tim. <laughs> Party hard or slow? Oh, slow, man. So uh, there, you have a tendency to look like if it's if it's your first time. Is that that's the context we're talking, right? Yep. Okay. So you look at the the gatherings list that there is online, 
and it's like sun up to sundown, you're drinking for free. And I see guys that like by Thursday, they they want to die. Like if they make it to Thursday, <laughs> if they make it to Thursday. You're absolutely right. And it's man, you've got to pace yourself. I mean, there's so much stuff to do, and you you kind of have to take everybody's advice. Like some of it's good for 100%, but some of it not so much. There's a lot of really good sessions that you should go to. But then if it's going to be recorded and it's not like one of those expert or future sessions, mm-hmm. skip it. Go hang out and just sit down in like the blogger section and just chill. Talk to people. Relax. You know, you don't have to go burn around in sessions, burning your brain out all day and then go fuel yourself with booze and Red Bull. All night. Uh, it's, it's just going to be a long week if you do. Um, I personally value sleep over everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I will be most definitely taking it easy this week. I will say quickly that there are some sessions that don't necessarily get recorded either. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, the um, quick right. talks and stuff like that. None yeah. of that does. Like the one I, the one I asked you about this last week, he's like, yeah, it's a quick talk yeah. that happened early on Sunday. And it's like right. the one thing that I need right now that I can't get. Yeah. And it's really weird. And it's one of those things where like, when it comes down to sessions, if it's got a big name that, you know, on Twitter, it's going to be recorded like for sure. Like anything with, you know, Frank or Duncan, all that's going to be recorded for sure. Um, but a lot of the, like the little ones, like the quick talks um, or even the group discussion formats where it's just like you guys sitting around talking to a PM that's not recorded. And you will get a lot out of that. My first year in San Francisco, I went to an EUC group discussion and I was in the middle of designing and deploying um, horizon at the place you're working for now, Britain. Um, and I literally just sat there with a PM and bounced every single question that I had about that deployment off of them. It, it was the most valuable thing I did all week. Free Sounds like, uh, the ask the experts, uh, sessions are something that would be yeah. that too. If it's a Q and a, and you've got like somebody who actually wrote the book on something in front of you, mm-hmm. that's worth your time. Yeah, yeah, take advantage of that for sure. And a lot of things, uh, too, a lot of those sessions, when you get done with them, you've got people that are pretty much the rest of the year out of reach. Uh, senior oh, VPs, yeah. product managers, people that are giving this content that you can go up and you can ask questions right there after the session. Just usually wait a little bit, yeah. usually a little bit of a line, but uh, you can get your questions answered there as well. Yeah, because then normally during the year, PMs will filter themselves through the field teams. Like they're like, uh, talk to your SE first. Yep. So you've got their ear right then and there. Go for it. Okay. And with that, I'll, I'll add one thing on the question. So um, give that presenter time to talk as well yeah. as don't be the only guy that's asking a question when there's 20 people behind you that have the same question. That presenter probably has anywhere from five to 15 minutes to get out of that room and go somewhere else. Yep. So just be courteous of that. You know, take a rain check you know, trade cards, trade Twitter, whatever you want to do to stay in contact because most of those presenters are going to be online and social. So if they can't get you, it's just not a rude thing. It's they're super busy, probably going to head off somewhere else. So, yep. And one thing real quick for Ariel, do you know, are the V brown bag sessions in the VM village, are those going to be recorded or are those live only? No, recorded? they're recorded. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's what I thought. They usually they are. They'll be in the YouTube uh, channel and they're, they're normally very quick on the youtube channel as well cool well they're streamed live online also as well right yep yeah awesome so for those going back for their second time or third um let's see mike you haven't said anything 
here. So, Mike, what do you think for the returning people who maybe forgot because they were too drunk? Um, what What's a good returning strategy coming back? Dry out a little bit. <laughs> um, I, I think, you know, my first VMworld, I was working. And, uh, you know, so I was... I was a technical account manager. I was running around with customers and I was, you know, all the things, right? So that first year I missed all of the expert talks, all of the community, you know, engagements, the evangelization, the stuff that was super valuable that these guys have already highlighted. Right. And I, I agree wholeheartedly. Like what you have already heard are absolutely the core juice to squeeze out of this event. Um, so get your sleep. Don't drink too much. Drink enough if you drink. Don't drink at all if you don't. Who cares? Um, but network. Talk to your community. Go to the sessions that are important to you and then talk to people who are interested in that because that is the main value for me that I always look at is inspired. I get pumped up. I get passionate all over again. And I learn. You know, I, I, I learn faster in this one week then I get time to even read or consume and podcast at the time. Right. Um, take advantage of the half price certs. I, I technically don't really even need them anymore, but like I get four or five of them, like swipe a card if you can. Right. Yeah, <laughs> like, I did two one, one year. Yeah. 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 So second timers, third timers, um, you know, just like Tim said, you know, it's take your time, analyze it, really discover where, what's important to you, get the value out of that. Talk to the people that you want to talk to and and don't just go at it like it's a big party. Like it is, it's a great time, have fun, but have fun wisely. This is an investment in you, right? There's a lot of money that goes into this, whether you're spending it or your employer or somebody else. So, you know, grab that, grab that rope, wrangle it, you know, for all it's worth. That's my two cents. Well said. So, okay, this is something I have struggled with in dealing with big companies for a long time, and it's knowing when and how to properly engage in SE's services and what their limits of those people are. So where, where, where in the trail of seeking a new solution does someone or should someone engage with a sales engineer so first of all it's a solutions engineer yes <laughs> uh but you Too know many acronyms i know absolutely <laughs> uh, we've got a whole de- website internally dedicated to acronyms so uh if that if that means anything but um you know, I would say anytime you're, you're thinking about um, the future of what you want to do with your infrastructure would be a good time to engage. Um, anytime you're, uh, you know, talking about what are we going to do to move our situation forward and not necessarily when you've already concocted the idea and you've got you know, it in your mind exactly what you need from a bill of materials perspective or anything like that. But uh, even before that, when you're talking about what is the problem that our business has and how are we going to come about with a solution? Um, that's a really good time to engage. 
but it's not the only time. Uh, I, I definitely take uh, field questions from customers all the time. I um, am really engaged with customers that have questions about, you know, basic stuff like how do I upgrade vCenter or how do I get from 5.5 to 6.5 because, you know, the 5.5 end of general supports coming up in September 19th. Any yeah. customers out there listening, make sure you get your upgrades done. Call uh, your but- friendly local partner. So, um, you know, those types of things are also really good to engage. I I deal a little bit with uh, SR escalations as well. We all know that regardless of what company you're calling, support can sometimes not be stellar. Um, And so I'm definitely uh, an advocate for my customers uh, to our internal organization as well. Um, But, you know, from... A, a driving situation, right? You said, uh, Tony, earlier that I no longer get my hands on the wheel and drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not covered by liability insurance for VMware. <laughs> so uh, I can't actually like... Turn the touch, knobs. Yeah, I can't touch production environments. Um, I will, uh, you know, provide guidance. Um, mm-hmm. I will provide, you know, access to knowledge-based articles. Uh, I'll, I'll happily whiteboard, you know... Um, conceptual things like how to migrate from uh, a 5.5 rack to a 6.5 rack uh, if you're buying new hardware to replace stuff because you can't upgrade 5.5, for example. Helped the customer with that last week. Um, but, you know, anytime it gets the rubber meets the road and you need somebody to actually uh, step in and help, that's where uh, professional services uh, really gets involved. Or um, one of the big pushes that we have now is uh, for the technical account managers, the TAMs mm-hmm. or the TAZs, uh, the specialists. But even I, even they're not allowed to do stuff either, though, I thought. They're not allowed to do stuff, but yeah. they can definitely get in and be more specific about, um, you know, different things that uh, customers need to do. Um, but, yeah, professional services does have liability insurance, so they can come in and they can um, actually do the work, uh, you know, but that's again, a paid engagement. Uh, so if you have a local partner that you like, that happens to do that type of work, uh, definitely, uh, get to engage them as well. So uh, that's kind of where the lines are drawn. It's a little hazy, but anytime hands need to get onto the steering wheel, I'm basically going to bow out. And it seems like there's there's a little bit of overlap. I mean, aside from the fact that it's a paid service and you get a little bit more personal touch, it seems like there's an awful lot of overlap between a TAM and an SE role. So it does, you know, it does have a bit of an overlap. The difference is, is that a TAM is um, absolutely dedicated to your account in a way yep. that is, and I mean, SEs are dedicated to your account, but a, a TAM is specifically dedicated to you to the point where they owe you deliverables, right? So you have this agreed upon statement of work, agreed upon deliverables that need to be provided. You've got cadence. Usually it's a weekly cadence or if it's a a tier two or a tier three or tier four, you're talking about like every other week or monthly. Um, And they provide a more specialized service that's well beyond what I can do as an SE or should do as an SE. Um, and so there is a definite uh, advantage to having a TAM. Um, the SE, you know, is a, is a pre-sales role. So when you're talking about 
post sales, um, that's where a, a Tam's really going to step up and help you. So you, you, you know, you can talk to me. I'll help you architect the solution to help resolve the business issue. Uh, you know, we we get a bomb together. You know, a PO signed, and then I can kind of do the handoff at that point. But at that point, that's that's going to be something that's post sales. So uh, a Tam's going to be more better suited to handle any questions or, you know, help the customer get from, um, you know, having license keys and bits to actually deploying it and having a solution. Right. Um, so this is a really cool thing. So what I've got up now is ailab.microsoft.com. This is some examples we've got up there of how you can use Azure Cognitive Services to do different things. So again, you don't have to be a data scientist. You just have to use these APIs. It's a cricket example for any of your Indian listeners up here too. It's a Spectacom one. Um, really, really cool one as an example here. You can actually sketch up things on a whiteboard or a piece no of paper. No way. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it'll do the oh. inferencing of what you've written. And this can be like images and all kinds of stuff as well. So you could, uh, let me dive into that quickly. Um, you can go in here and, um, and put like image boxes, all kinds of crap in there. And um, it'll build it up as an HTML page for you. Wow. So you say, I'm, not, I'm not actually a developer. I'm just going to try and find, I'm gonna find the thing on this. Um, yeah, but you can go in and it'll do that work for you and build it up. And we've got it here. You can go in and go, well, Here's a GitHub repo to go and actually do this myself. <laughs> That's so uh, cool. Um, which is pretty awesome. I'm trying to get back to my screen. Turn the sound off over here. Um, so, yeah, you've got the GitHub repo there. Um, that's pretty awesome, right? So, you talk about a small business going, hey, I want to do a web page. It's like, hey, just draw it out on a piece of paper and we'll build the form for you. That's incredible. Um, <laughs> well, not, not we. We just provide ability. This is a bot framework, which is kind of an interesting one here. Um, speech cap capture synthesis of speech, not just actually translating into text and doing things. It's actually doing the, um, and now analyzing the sentiment as well. So not just what you say, but how you feel about what you say. Yeah. So, you know, if you, you say to your wife, Hey, I'm just going to go out to the pub. I'll see you in six hours. You could say that's fine. Depending on how you want to inflect on that. It will mean different things, um, but this is a this is one here where it's using conversational AI and talking about you know speech capture, bot logic, synthesis, sentiment analysis, and speech to text and translation. And again, the whole project sits here in GitHub. We can get the repo and see the whole way to go and build this in um, from signing into an account to where the templates are, the lab materials, and doing the basic build out. It's I mean, I can do it. So it must be pretty easy. Um, and then just just for the conspiracy theorists out there as well nice <laughs> i was actually just looking at that one i was like what <laughs> we down the street from me isn't it tim yeah yeah Close. there was like thirty-four thousand pages um uh released last year by the u.s government about the assassination of jfk uh, you know, so they were digitally released. They were scanned to PDF files and evidence photos and all this kind of stuff. So um, we actually used AI to, to run some machine learning using Azure Search and Cognitive Search against a whole lot of this data to go and build out a Cognitive Search understanding and start building mapping in between this. 
Wow. Um, so you can go and view. We've got like images here where you can see the different baselines. You know, things like acts of con Congress, how it relates to Cuba, and tie that in together. And again, the whole thing you can go and launch it and view it, um, and really sort of uh, you know <laughs> get your nerd on around that. There's okay. also going to be one on UFOs next. Um, or you can go and look at how we built it and say, well, how would I build this? I mean, talk about a real world application. How could I build this around something like legal discovery in a case? Yeah. I get, I get like 20 terabytes of, um, I get 20 terabytes of case files uh, in digital format. And we all see in the movies how you swap people with, with, uh, with files. And that is a <laughs> tactic that happens. And you can suddenly go, well, let's start doing smart search across the whole thing. You just dump it in. We start building up. We've got the whole thing there. So really cool thing to go look at, ailab.microsoft.com. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's, 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 I, I will do my best to sign up. I, I, you know, cross my heart and hope that I can make it. Because it's one of these things, like, every time I, every time, every time I talk to somebody from VMware or wherever, I always say... And this is my broken record moment of the show. I want to learn this stuff. I want to know it all, but I just can't. You know? Yeah. I haven't learned that lesson yet. I can learn everything. <laughs> <laughs> until I have a brain until I have a brain seizure. Your wife comes into your office and on. just finds you on the floor and blood everywhere one day. Yeah. But I'm gonna be the smartest guy bleeding on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a quote that needs to get worked into the intro. Yeah. <laughs> that's one of those moments where I'm really, happy. I'm, really I'm, I'm really proud of that because it came off immediately. Didn't even have to think about it. It was just there. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Good time. Uh, Did you uh, podcast tonight? Yeah. Did you do the uh, hackathon of Emerald Europe too or not? No, not this time. Uh, you know, the, the truth is with how busy Vegas was, I really wanted this VM world to be a little bit, a little bit more on the, on the chill side. So I, I, I skipped out on, on that this year, spent time with people from Europe that I don't always get to see, uh, took it, took it pretty easy. Okay. What was your, uh, VM world hackathon project? I forget. Uh, so, so my, it's, there's two sides to this. My project was to teach people Python, right? The project for the team was kind of a Slack bot kind of thing, uh, that was interacting with, uh, with VMC. So Brian Graff hooked us up with, a with a single node VMC instance that we were using and doing like AWS Lambda calls via Python. But I was pretty clear with the team out of the gate, like, look, if you guys all walk or walk away knowing a little bit of Python, then my goal is met. Like, I don't care if we win. I don't care if we lose. I just want to teach you guys something. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Tony, do you have anything? I'm, I'm, I'm already out of my list of stuff. Yeah, it's it's kind of a low key episode this time around. Um, but you guys got broke off with some exclu ex exclusivity. Yes, we did. Yes. Um, <clears throat> I don't really think I have anything else for him. I mean, as far well, we, as something we can't end now. We've got like a whole hour left. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, so I don't know, Cody. Do you mess with containers at all? I do. Uh, running them in Docker, or what are you doing? 
Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I actually just worked on a, a project internally. I'm trying to build some better demo content internally for some of our automation platforms. And one of them, uh, one of the things I built was a, a little three tier application in, in Docker it started off as just a Docker, a Docker app and then grew into a Kubernetes app. So, um, learned a lot about, about building it with like Docker compose and then grew up into, into doing it in, in Kubernetes. Um, so yeah, I've, I've been around the gamut. So is Docker Compose like a light version or an easy beginner version of Kubernetes then? Mm, I wouldn't say that. So what Docker Compose allows you to do is instantiate uh, an application, usually an application stack using using Docker. So for example, you might not be a Kubernetes expert, but you're familiar with the concept that when you deploy an application in Kubernetes, usually you're deploying a YAML file and it reads that YAML and deploys the tiers of an application. Right. I am now. Okay. There you go. <laughs> I'm learning. Docker compose is very similar. Um, think it, the best way to think about it is think about the manual process, right? If you had three Docker containers that you had built to interact with one another, right? You built a three tier app. Maybe the front end is an angular angular application. Um, the mid tier is like an API layer. That's probably like an nginx web server with, maybe Python Flask inside of it that's doing API calls. And then your backend is database. And all those are wired up to talk to each other. If you were doing it manually, you would do deploy a Docker network. You would then deploy, you'd build each one of the containers and then deploy those containers onto that network and hope that you had wired everything up together. Mm -hmm. uh, with Docker Compose, you can actually link all of them together, right? So you can have this file that deploys this multi-tier application uh, it's it's a shame that this is not a a video cast because I have an example of that that makes a lot of sense. I'll send it to you offline, um, okay. and you can take a look at what a Docker Compose file looks like. You can but share your screen and you can put it on the video on YouTube. Yeah, that's true. I could do that. I just have to make sure there's nothing terribly terribly tragic in here. Uh, okay, <laughs> where is the reason I'm asking all of this? Is just the other day, last week, I. Uh, spun up my very first Docker container and and trying to learn a little bit more about it. I I spun up Portainer, so I had a, a visual GUI to kind of confirm what's in there. Uh, and then I've been working on Plex and uh, just trying to... I, Britton had mentioned, actually, that's probably something else we should talk about, Britton, is um, I'm also working on getting uh, my Uni Ubiquiti Unify controller uh, set up as a Docker container. And so I'm running, I'm running my, my USG as a, as a Docker container as well. You are? Or my okay. USG, not my USG, my, uh, my Unified controller. controller. Sorry. Yeah. So yeah, I'm just starting to learn about this. I've learned a lot about the commands, the permissions, um, building my NFS, excuse me, NFS shares out to my FreeNAS server for storage and just, uh, there's a lot to it that I never thought of before. So yeah, totally. Yeah, and some people get long winded. We have to rein them back in. Yeah. But, be, yeah. but being honest, but being honest should be respected. I think most of us would agree with that. So, you know, when Britain kind of stood up and said, "I don't know about NSX," you know, T, that's fine. I didn't take it one way or the other. I don't think Joe did either. It's just being honest, telling <laughs> how he feels, and we're open to a conversation about it. Oh, I'm sure Joe took offense immediately. <laughs> oh, always. Yeah. Yeah, it's okay. 
So, well, it, I think it helps that Tony and I have an almost 25-year history with each other. Is that how long it's been? I don't even remember anymore. Is Tony that old? Yeah, it was like... Eighth <laughs> grade? It's Tony that old. Tony's wow. a baby face, yeah. <laughs> hey, I kissing got up, Kissing up to the host. <laughs> but, so that helps, but, you know. Tony, is there anything I could do better? Besides shutting up once in a while? Um, I think honestly, you and I could do a better job of some pre-show prep. I know, you know, we're both busy. We both have a couple of kids, but if we could spend just a little bit more time going over some of the things that we're going to do. And as far as like an outline, I think that would help. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's been a couple episodes where you've randomly Tony do this. And I'm like, what, <laughs> <laughs> what am I doing here? Dance, Tony dance. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Well, you know, it's worked out so far. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. No, I agree that with that. That piggybacks on what Donnie said. That's that's the appeal to this podcast. It works well. Yeah. Well, I think like Britain said, I, you know, long history of Britain being one of my best friends. I mean, we've hung out for years in person. We live a couple hours apart now, but I think that shows through in the podcast. We have got a, a really good rapport with each other and each other well so. yeah like i i knew you when you had were when you had and were really excited about a geo metro with an eight ball on the shifter that thing was awesome dude it got so much <laughs> it got good gas miles but yet it was still fast because it was so light <laughs> the three-cylinder geo metro and my dad always used to joke that i had like big stereo aspirations in there so i had like this massive sub oh box yeah you did he always used to joke that that thing pushed me down the road, not the three-cylinder gerbil yeah. engine that I have. There's the sub was, in the back. Yeah. The, sub, the sub was heavier than your car. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I drove a 1986 uh, Sky Blue Dodge Omni for a while, so I, I know I know where you're coming from. Nice. Yeah, and there was a couple times where my Geo was picked up and turned around in between two cars, so I couldn't leave at high school. Oh, yeah. But... Definitely the joke was on time. them. The joke was on them because one of the cars left and I was able to just back out. That's <laughs> <laughs> a yeah, good time. All right. What else we got for him, Britain? Um, I don't know, man. I mean, we're, we're kind of running close to time here. So I mean, it, that, that's sort of the one thing that just, I have never really like picked a time randomly to say, this is how long an episode should be. I generally just go until we, you know, run the well dry. And so, I mean, if people think it's too long or we're not long enough, you know, I don't, I, I'm, I'm not, I really, the honest answer to that is I just go as long as I feel is within reason um, for the given conversation. So, you know, yeah, I try I not to go over an hour and a half, but I think our shortest one was like an hour, but it was a good hour. Right. As long as there's some value in there, I'm okay with it. Yeah. Do you, any, do you guys have any direct questions for Tony or I raise your hand if you're sure. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> You've probably answered this before. But why did you decide to start the podcast? Okay, so I was yeah, touched on it a little bit. Yeah, we've we've I've, I've talked about it at least once, but um, I was working at a customer's office at like ten to eleven thirty or some crazy one late crazy night, 
And, you know, I've been trying to expand the business and trying to gain clients and trying to gain, you know, marketability and exposure. Um, and there's just not a lot of great ways to do that when you're a solo entrepreneur. Um, so I've been, you know, for years I've been taking in business content and how to run a business and doing marketing and doing all this kind of stuff. Um, and I stumbled across this insane guy from New Jersey called Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, and he is famous for taking his parents wine store in New Jersey and doing Google AdWords and blowing it up from like a couple hundred thousand dollars to a year to a $30 million a year business. Um, and he now runs this huge online social media ad agency um, with like 700 employees. And the guy's just, he's, he, his aspiration is to someday buy the New York Jets. And I'm pretty sure he will do it. Um, and he's just a crazy guy. Um, and his basic thesis is, if you are anybody today, not even necessarily wanting to start a business, you need to have a presence online somehow. You either, if you can write, you should have a blog or Twitter. If you can talk, do a podcast. If you're good, if you're good looking, he's, he's really big on this. If you're good looking, you should have an Instagram account and do video on YouTube. Because if, if you're an attractive person, it just wins in video. <laughs> so, so he's Ooh, only... Yeah. <laughs> and so, so his kind of basic thesis is like, just get your, you know, just start doing th something, get it out there. His, one of his sort of catchphrases is document, don't create things. So, cause he's just like, how cool would it be if Jeff Bezos back in the day of starting amazon.com had somebody following around with a camera and you could see his day-to-day -day activities as he's founding amazon.com. That would be amazing to we'll go back and watch now. So, so that's sort of his thing is like, if you, if you have any sort of aspiration of being anybody, just do it, just start creating stuff, put it out there, be, just do it. Um, like he started doing videos on YouTube when it first launched and it was just him sitting in his office with a camcorder on the other side and the audio was horrible and it was nasty. Um, and, and I, and I, I listened to this podcast episode that he did talking about this and I, inside pulled out my phone and I texted Tony, I'm like, and I'd been thinking about it for a while, but I heard this kind of prompting and I'm just like, Tony, I, I want to start a podcast. Will you do it with me? And Tony's general answer was, <laughs> I think it was like, uh, I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I told you yes right away. I don't know. I'd have to dig back in my iMessage history to see if it's still there, but it might be. I think a lot of it when you approached me about it was I was already getting more involved in the community. I was already the expert yeah. at the time. I was already traveling to do VMUG talks out of state. And I was just like, why not? It's one more way to get exposure. I was certainly nervous about it. And I'm like, yeah. what are we going to do in terms of value add? But yeah, because like I said at the beginning, we're just two schmucks from Wisconsin. Who's going to want to listen to us? Right. So, so that's sort of the general genesis of it. Um, and I, and I just, you know, like I, I've watched, slowly watched this thing grow over the last year. We've been doing it for just over a year. Um, and I, th I think based on the rough, poor analytics that I have, because um, this thing's all run off of a WordPress engine, um, we have about between 90 and 100 subscribers on the audio feed. Um and so, because every time I publish an episode, there's this huge spike of downloads. 
and that's about where the, in the first week is. And then it starts to trail down. And I mean, what's amazing to me, and I'm, well, one reason why we're having him back, our most popular episode is the one we did with Chris Williams, where he went off on AWS. Um, <laughs> that that one is by far the most popular one. Probably because he's hilarious. On that one. Yeah, he's a super funny guy, and the knowledge bombs yeah. he was dropping, crazy. So you need to get him another proxy for the whiteboard, though, man. Because gosh, that handwriting. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Chris. I love you, buddy. Again, this has been GigaCast episode twenty-four point five for Tuesday, January first, twenty nineteen. This is our look back at twenty eighteen. Thanks to all of our amazing guests who made 2018 possible. Um, starting off with Mr. Cody D. Arkland, Chris Williams, Jace McCarty, Ariel Sanchez, Andre Leibovich, Aaron Bolthouse, Aaron Bewley, Tim Davis, our VMworld panel, Ben DeQual from Microsoft, Cody D. Arkland again, helping us finish the year. And again, our amazing listener panel for the Festivus episode. That was last month. That was amazing. Thanks to you guys and helping us make the show what it is. Um, if you made it this far, thank you for listening to the whole thing. And again, keep listening. Keep, keep you know, sharing the show with your friends and coworkers. And we will look forward to a strong 2019 together. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot.